Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to software testing. My name's Neil Studd, and I'll be your castaway companion. Hello everybody and welcome back to a slightly delayed episode of Tessa's Island Discs. Uh, my name is Neil Studd and I have a bit of a cold. It's got marginally better, well enough to record and I'm delighted to be speaking today with fellow tester and uh, human extraordinaire Gwen Diagram. If you know anything about miniature testing then you must know who Gwen Diagram is. She is an awesome conference speaker and compare but she's also an organiser of dev and DevOps events and uh, an organiser of the Leeds Testing Atelier. She's known for her no-holds-barred approach to engineering and her colourful language, some of which I'm sure will be on display today, so be careful if you've got young ears around you. But overall, she's one of the nicest humans in the whole of tech. And since the end of last year, Gwen and I have been two-thirds of the Tech Team Weekly podcast, so it's not entirely unusual for us to be speaking to each other. Hello, hello, Gwen, how are you doing? Neil, it is amazing to hear from you. It's been a little bit, yeah, I'm... I'm really good. I'm going to Brighton tomorrow on a train and I'm terrified of packing. But besides that, I'm brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, yeah, Tech Team Weekly has gone on hiatus at the moment, mostly because uh, I found it very hard to find uh, free time in our weekends uh, with a two-year-old now terrorising the house. Uh, and also, of course, uh, you'll be off to Australia uh, later um, in uh, April. Yeah, I'm really excited. It's been three years because of the whole pandemic thing. Yeah. Um, I was meant to go in 2020. But uh, yeah, I'm so excited. I get to go to Singapore Airport as well, um, which I haven't like spent enough time in. So I'm really excited about that too. Fantastic. Is it a complete break from work? Or are you going to be check- checking to work while you're there? Or are you like literally leaving the laptop at home? Leaving the laptop at home. If I can't get home, I'll buy another laptop. Um, like, yeah. So I spoke to one of the like devs today and I was like, should I take my laptop? And he's just like, just buy another one. Like, and yeah, that seems quite sensible. So I'll be on like one of the slacks, but that's mostly for goss. Like, so yeah, total break. It'll be great. <laughs> Yeah, keep in touch. It's approaching Australian, or it's getting towards Australian winter, which is, I suppose it's still not cold, is it, down there? Well, in um, I'm going to Tasmania, which I've never been to. I'm taking my niece, which will be really fun. She's 16, and, like, I think I'm, well, it's really sad. I was going to ask my sister if I could do the first one-to-one questions, <laughs> like, and get my <laughs> sister to answer them, because I don't know how to deal with humans outside of, like fucking management now you know what I mean so I'm just like if I do that I can find out when like when she's grumpy and stuff like that but yeah but Tasmania is pretty much similar to here at the moment well it's warmer than here so and that's the coldest place you can go in Australia so it's going to be pretty warm it's about 27 in Brisbane at the moment yeah you still very much have that Australian twang uh, do you think your your Britishness is now beginning to, to seep through though Oh, God, yeah. So when I go to Australia, they think that I'm British and people know I'm Australian (laughs) over here. It was interesting. When I was in L.A., they were like, are you like British Australian? Like, yeah, both. And I'm like, yes, that's amazing. Like that someone can actually pick that I'm both. I've been here 13 years now, I think it is. Uh, So, yeah, I'm pretty much British now. Um, But, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So what was your path to, to the U.K. in the first place from your ancestral home? So, uh, I came here to see a band. Um, so (laughs) yeah, so I woke up one day and I felt like I found out the Jesus Mary chain were playing in the UK, like a eighties, um, goth band from Scotland and they'd reformed and the brothers used to absolutely hate each other. And so I decided that I had to come and see them in the UK because they'd probably fucking kill each other by the time they came to (laughs) Australia. Um, And yeah, we used to have bands come and crash at our house um, all the time when I lived in Brisbane. And one of the bands was from Leeds and said, if you ever have the misfortune of coming to Leeds, come and stay with us. And so I did. And I came to Leeds and the music scene here was absolutely incredible. Everyone danced. And I'd been living in Melbourne for a year and no one danced down there. So coming here and everyone was dancing, I was like, this is for me. And yeah, that was it. I just had the best time and I stayed. (laughs) Fantastic. I, yeah, I love the Leeds music scene. Actually, I was in Leeds last week with some friends and uh, I, I was trying to work out what the last gig I went to was in Leeds. And it was about 10 years ago. It was one of my favourite bands of all time, a, a British band who uh, no one's ever heard of uh, called The Music. Um, the worst yeah. possible name to give yourself. Have you heard of them? They're from so, Leeds. They're uh, yeah, from Kivax or... 
Yeah, some of my friends in Brisbane, they played uh, Big Day Out, this massive festival with them, and the music got really popular when they were about 17, and they were some really lonely kids at the time. Like, this was, like, early 2000s, and, yeah, yeah, they they really missed home. And, yeah, so my friends kind of looked after them, um, yeah, at the festival. So, yeah, that's all I know of them. Yeah, uh, yeah. In, in their early days, I mean, this is a complete tangent or polar tangent, but yeah, their early days, they were really like the lead singer Rob Harvey had like this huge hair. He did this crazy like he was really into dancing on stage, like kind of full on like bear style dancing and yeah, very sort of shoegazy, really melodic rock. Um, they kind of lost their way a bit, or he, he kind of he got some addictions in his life that kind of led to the band breaking up as well. But they, they did a farewell gig in year, in Leeds ten years ago, which is on YouTube and is the sweatiest gig I've ever been to. Like the entire floor <laughs> of the Leeds cockpit was just a mosh pit, like the entire thing. Uh, but and they're actually, they're, funny enough, they're playing a, a, a reunion gig in June. Um, in, Are you uh, going to go in, see in them? Temple Newsom. Hopefully, I'm trying to put a posse of us together because we used to go around like a whole group of us used to travel the country seeing the music. Uh, so yeah. yeah, I'll be there in June. Um, hopefully, some others will be too um but um that's enough about my music um on to the first of your five songs Gwen. now when i was asking you to select your songs i did say if you could pick them as early as you can because i like to go through them so i can make references back to other people who've picked those bands um that's not going to be a problem this time <laughs> you've got quite the selection um is there, a theme that run, is, there, is there a theme that runs through it or do you want to start with uh, song number one so well I've listened to a lot of music, but uh, what I really like is fast garage rock, and I think this uh, this set pretty much captures this. So I'm very much into a lot of my kind of 80s, like, hardcore or, like, punk rock bands, so ranging from really shitty pop punk to, uh, like, I don't know, just hardcore stuff, like Minor Threat and stuff like that. Um, but this is the hard-on. So they're a band from Australia in the 80s. Um, I don't like all of their stuff, but some of the stuff is the most melodic stuff. And this song is about the most beautiful thing in the whole wide world is a girl all set to go. And this is the hard-ons all set to go. That was the hard-ons with All Set To Go. Now, we were talking about Gwen's upbringing in Australia. Um, Were you passionate about tech from a young age? Well, my dad uh, has always worked in tech since since I've known him anyway. Before that, uh, yeah, it took him a while to get into tech, but he got into tech when he was about 30. And so he used to work at Wang, um, which if you're old, they like there's references to Wang in The Simpsons, but... Yeah, they made like 386s and 486s and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I was surrounded by it. Uh, we had different computers. So we had a Dick Smith System 80 when I was a kid. Um, over here, like it was, I don't know, like ZX Spectrum kind of thing. Um, and, yeah, like I was I was using computers from like soon as I was like able to pretty much. Um, my dad used to have Citrix like servers running we always had servers running in the house and I started uh like writing my own websites when I was 12 in notepad um yeah I used to go to conferences with my dad and he used to have business cards printed out for me and I would have the job title as webmaster and I remember putting them in like the things (laughs) where you can win stuff and people would pull them out and be like what is this 12 year old doing and it's like I'm a webmaster so yeah like it was um and then I spent a lot of my teenage years on IRC, uh, my first boyfriend I met on the internet, like the tech has been everything to me always. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. And that sort of stuff is so much easier these days. I mean, anyone who wants to, you know, get into streaming, all you need is a phone or, you know, it's built into your PlayStation or Xbox or whatever. And yeah, yeah, back in those days, which makes us both sound old, but you you had to really want to do it to get into it. It took effort. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. But uh, like, and It was a lot harder to figure out, like, how to code back then as well, you know. Like, it wasn't just Googling shit. It was, yeah, kind of having to go on chat rooms and ask people and stuff like that, which, yeah, is what I did. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm old enough to be from the generation where we bought magazines that had code written in it and you had to type like lines of basic into your computer. And you know, if you made a typo, the program didn't work. So it's a good, a good lesson on uh, precision and debugging and uh, <laughs> yeah, it really, really drilled those skills into you from, uh, from a young age. But Definitely. How, did you, how did you get from a, a vague interest in tech into the world of testing? Was that, it was after you arrived in the UK, right? Yeah, so I wasn't going to be able to do it when I was in Australia. I was working at like Subway, I sold shoes and stuff like that. Like, and I managed to get a job in a call center, which was like my first office job, but like there was no way I was going to get a chance in Australia. So I moved over here, and my friend Circuit, she got me a job at, uh, uh, it's called Step Change now, but got me a job at Step Change, and I was doing admin, and there was a role going in IT support, and circuit got me an interview and I completely flunked it because I was so so nervous which is hilarious now because I can't imagine ever flunking an interview but like I was so nervous I couldn't even speak I was shaking you know um but they gave me a second chance got into IT support um I yeah and then yeah that was pretty much it like uh I moved into testing like or a bit later um because yeah it's it's kind of a long, crazy story, but basically they promoted a man above me and I said, fuck you. And so I moved roles, but I couldn't leave because of my visa status at the time. So it was like, okay, I can't leave this place. What else is there? Because I really wanted to get into infrastructure and become a network engineer. Thank God I didn't. Um, but yeah, so like I switched over to testing and that was the end of that. Like I just loved software development even more than <laughs> IT support, way more than IT support. So yeah. We've heard so many stories on this podcast of people who have sort of fallen into testing, but I think moving into testing for your principles, uh, that, that's, that's a new one and, and a good one. So I, I'm delighted to hear it and I'm unsurprised to hear that that, that was your route into it. Um, I was trying to work out when I first met you. I, I know you were at Sky at the time, which I think probably makes, means it was 2016. It was probably Test Bash Brighton or Manchester. I know you spoke at Manchester that year. Um, but certainly by that point, you'd already managed to ingrain yourself well in the community in a way that I was still trying to do. And um, like the Leeds Testing Atelier had started up by then. Things yeah. like unconferences are obviously they're really hot stuff now. But where did the, the idea originally spring from for the Atelier? Oh, so uh, I wasn't originally involved in the uh, Testing Atelier. So uh, our very dear friend, Steve Mouncey, it was his idea and he started it. So the first one was at Cool Credit and then um, they were looking for a venue for the second one and they suggested a like company in Leeds and it was like over my dead body. So uh, I showed them off <laughs> Chambers and uh, it kind of went from there. The the like idea of it being an unconference was uh, Steve, but yeah, I... I took it to Wolf Chambers and yeah, we can't hold it anywhere else but Wolf Chambers now because the, <laughs> have you been to one of the ateliers yet? I haven't, no. I, I kept meaning to. I, I keep seeing like clips of them when they're put online. Like there was the one where you did the Jurassic Park session, which I absolutely loved. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, now I'm this close to Leeds. Like I'm literally spitting distance and like some people yeah. just do, do try to do that. Uh, but yeah, I'm spitting distance from Leeds. So uh, I should get there to, to the next one. So like, the the venue, if you haven't been to Wharf Chambers, it's uh, kind of like very anarchist, it's very queer and there's graffiti everywhere and there's like genderless toilets and stuff like that. And so taking people there from like kind of corporate environments back in 2016 especially, um, like it it was really good like to see people being like, what the fuck is this? Why are there all these trans rights things around and all this kind of stuff and people being confused, but it's like, you want to come to this conference? It's free. Like we're here. And yeah, I, I just love the Atelier. I can't wait to put it on like maybe hopefully later this year. So Steve, who first started it, he put on the one in Newcastle uh, the other year, but he's moved up to Newcastle. So now it's mostly Ash, um, Marcus and I and we have like a couple of people that come in and out but yeah well I'm sure you'll make noise when it's happening uh these things are uh that's what social media is for it's the, the good part of social media that I've been I've been, <laughs> I've been off off Twitter quite a lot lately and I've missed out on things because of it um mm-hmm. but uh yeah I, I'm really looking forward to, to hearing about that when it happens and in the next section we'll talk more about uh, your place in the community and, and how you found it uh, but before that um tell us a bit about your second song when Ah, so this is The Mummies. So The Mummies are a uh, 
No, West Coast, uh, West Coast US band. And again, uh, there's a theme here. They're from the 80s. Um, but I got to see them the other year and the mummies are such dirty, like garage rock, absolute filth. And the lead singer drags this massive organ around and like he's just the most brilliant performer. So when I used to play in bands, I used to like watch this to rev myself up. Um, and yeah, I got to see them in London like a couple of years ago and it was the first time they'd played in the UK for 20 years and they were just absolutely incredible. So this is The Mummies. I'm going to kill my baby tonight. Gwen's second song there, The Mummies, with I'm Gonna Kill My Baby Tonight. Now, Gwen, you certainly seem to come across as something of a natural in front of a microphone or a camera or whatever format you're in, you know, in person. Uh, does hosting and presenting at conferences, does it feed into, like, existing extroverted desires that you've got? Or are you a, a closet, panicky introvert like the rest of us? So uh, I'm happiest when I'm on stage. I like that things can go wrong and I need to think <laughs> quick to fix it. So, um, yeah, I've been... So I first started playing in bands when I was 17, so I was on stage a lot and it's just really nice that things can fuck up and you need to sort it out. Uh, But, yes, I am I an introvert sometimes? Uh, Yeah, like so I get there's a lot of things that I don't like doing, like phone calls and stuff like that. Um, Yeah, I can be quite introverted, but uh, the persona on stage is, well, I don't know, I guess... Yeah, perhaps a persona that I like the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've so, yeah, I've made my peace with with it. Like, um, I always I'm still like panicky in the build up to it, but I, I know that when I'm up there, I'm going to enjoy it. So I, I now try to just block it out and know that it's going to be great and, and really enjoy it. And of course, like you say, preparing for the worst to happen. Like, 2020 obviously came along, and suddenly everything was being done online, and you've done a lot of online comparing as well. Um, mm-hmm. Like suddenly going from having never really done online events or, or them being a very rare thing, uh, presumably that was a, a very, very steep learning curve to, to learning how, um, you know, hop in or whatever tools you're using uh, work. So I used to host the Test Bash Masterclasses, so it wasn't unusual for me to be doing stuff online. So it was it was a really easy switch. I did the I don't know how long I'd done the masterclasses for, like a couple of years. So it was just like, this is fine. Like, I know how to do this. Um, I have a script and all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, like I was I was pretty fine with it. I don't get nervous going up towards it either. Like, um, I guess because it is just my happy place. Um, so I'm really lucky like that because I know that it really tortures a lot of people. What I do get nervous about is writing the fucking talks. So, um I think I'm going to have a break this year because the anxiety about writing the talks because I leave everything to the last responsible moment, which isn't responsible <laughs> a lot of the time. Um, and so, yeah, the stress of like, you need to write this talk and I have two days and I'm like, no, nah, I still haven't written it yet. I've written talks on the train to conferences and stuff like that. I'm just shocking. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my talks tend to come together at the last minute, but they tend to be founded from bits of plans of talks I've had for ages. Like I did one um, at a local meetup at the end of 2021, which was founded from like two years worth of notes made during lockdown. It, it was all about um, how we've learned to adapt to um, obviously what they were calling the new normal and how yeah. to then prepare for what the next normal is going to be. Like what can we learn from this and keep when we, when we go forwards? Uh, and that was a really good, good fun talk to do, but it was literally – here is a whole mash of ideas. How do I make this make sense? So, uh, um, yeah, frankly, I should have probably put it together a bit sooner than I eventually did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to motivate yourself, I think. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, I mean, thankfully, you know, I mean, the world moves on and we, we do seem, seem to be moving back towards uh, some degree of normality now. Uh, we're recording this just before this week's Test Bash X, which you're going to be presenting at. Yes, I'm so excited. So, uh, like, because I haven't been on stage in real life in 
ages and it's it's going to be really strange not being able to have my notes there. Usually I do take an iPad with notes because I can't remember everything that I have to do. But yeah, like just having my notes right there, which makes everything easier. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, knowing that you have to tell people like where fire exits are, like, we, uh-huh. <laughs> like things that like you, for the last two years, like the toilets are in your house. <laughs> Yeah, so it's uh, it's lucky because I had notes from like one of the last test bashes I hosted and I hung out with Diana and I'm like, okay, questions, where is this, where is this, where is this kind of thing, what's the Wi-Fi code like? And thank God I had notes because I wouldn't have been able to remember all that stuff otherwise, like what did I used to do in real life, yeah. Uh, I, I really, really wanted to make it to Brighton for this test bash X. I haven't been able to uh, quite get the child king over to do it, which is a shame. Uh, but it's it's the first one of a, a series of events in, in this format. I know there's one in Edinburgh later this year. Can you explain to, to listeners just briefly, I mean, they'll have missed test bash X Brighton, but what is the format and how is it different to a, a normal test bash? Yeah, it's going to be really awesome. So um, test bash X, there's only two talks for... For Brighton anyway, um, there's one at the start of the day to kick it off and then there's one at the end of the day to like finish it. And the rest of the time it's all workshops, um, which is amazing because you get so much out of going to workshops. Like they're, they're one of my favourite things about conferences and there's a whole host of different people doing it. It's, it's going to be really cool. And one of the other things, uh, you get the most out of going from a conference, going and talking to people because it's making those connections, you know, like... They'll tell you like that the place that they work is awesome and maybe you should work there or they'll talk about or you can argue about like continuous integration or, you know, something like that. And yeah, that's what you get your thing. So I think it's going to be really, really amazing. I can't wait to see. Yeah, it's part of a series of, of revolutions that Ministry of Testing are doing this year that, that Richard Bradshaw is heading up, and they, they're really interesting. Um, I'll link you to a, an article, uh, like I, th- I think PC did a few months ago, about what's going to happen at, at Test Bash Manchester. But basically the idea is that now we've had this world where we can present things online, but there are certain things we'd rather do in person. What, what stuff can we move online to free up the stuff to, to do more fun in person, to, to make it more engaging, to start smashing people together in the same room, which God knows we all need to do. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Richard's just incredible at like being the boss boss. He's always got great ideas. Um, did you read the article he wrote about uh, how Ministry of Testing are finally like making money again? Um, yes, uh, and with how they are aligning their pay scale on the back on the back of it. Yeah, amazing stuff. Fucking yeah, awesome. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he won't, let, he won't let it go to his head, I'm sure. Uh, I've got a link to that in the show notes with, with everything else. Um, but with that, we're at the halfway point in the podcast, which means we're on to your third song. Brilliant. So uh, this is Ty Segal. So Ty Segal isn't from the 80s. Ty Segal is actually modern. <laughs> so he's absolutely incredible um, because I don't know how he is so prolific. He has like several albums out each year pretty much. Um, and this one, oh, this song must be, oh, it's quite a few years old now. I guess it might be six or seven, but uh, this one's called Girlfriend. So, yeah, I like songs about girls. Um, this one's beautiful as well. I was just talking to Gwen as that song was playing uh, and I said, well, normally when I think the songs are six or seven years old, they turn out to be like 10 years old. That's from 12 years ago was Ty Segal with Girlfriend. <laughs> Where does the time go? <laughs> so we were talking earlier about your move into testing and how you found yourself to becoming test manager at Sky. What prompted you to, to then move on from there? Because you went to, to Monzo where you suddenly became an engineering manager. Yeah, so... Um... I didn't mean to become test manager at Sky. I joined as a senior uh, test engineer and um, I didn't want to manage anyone. And then the other senior engineer left and I accidentally became test manager. Um, I moved into a principal role then. And then uh, I left Sky to become test lead at Monzo. Um, But then uh, I ended up becoming an engineering manager. 
how did that happen? I don't know. I don't know how half the things in my career happen. Um, I'm <laughs> like, yeah, I'm currently the head of tech and uh, that was an accident as well. Um, I joined as a contract tester um, and then like I accidentally became like principal engineering manager and then, yeah, CTO left. I accidentally became head of tech, head of engineering, not head of tech. I don't even know what my job title is. So yeah, um, I don't know. <laughs> what? Why did I step? Why did I move to Monzo? So they had dogs in the office at Monzo, um, and I'd asked Sky so many times, "Can we get dogs in the office?" And bless them, you know what they did at Sky because I asked about dogs so much. We got the. Uh, uh, guide dogs for the blind to come in so we could pat the dogs, which was really, oh. really amazing. But uh, yeah, I just wanted dogs in the office full time. And like Monzo, I mean, it's glitzy, you know, like, yeah, but Christ, I'm not traveling to London like for work ever again. Um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw all the pictures on the, uh, someone said like, it's a picture on LinkedIn of like 10 years ago. This was my, my journey to London on, on the tube. It's one of those ones where the staircase is descending down into the tube on two sides and they're both packed of just people yeah. get on trains. It's like, we, we used to do this because we thought it was the only way we could do it. And yeah, a, a lot of us are now converts. Obviously, there are many of us who, who want to get back to the office and, and, you know, see people every day or some days. But yeah, there are bits of, of, of the commute that I certainly don't miss. <laughs> no, not at all. Like, yeah, I'm... I'm happy going into Leeds. I love Leeds, like, but yeah, going to London, um, I just, I couldn't get on with it. I was staying in like private rooms in hostels and it was like one of the places I used to stay didn't have like, my favourite place I used to stay didn't have central heating and it like, what, what am I doing? That was like, it ended up me just being like, what the fuck am I doing? Why am I doing this? So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've only worked in London uh, twice in my career. They were both permanent roles, but they both lasted about six months. And in both <laughs> cases, I, I in both cases I started working there in the spring, and I was really enjoying it. And then you get to like September, October, and suddenly none of the trains are running, and it's cold, mm -hmm. and you're standing on a platform in the dark. It, you've been kicked off the train at Finsbury Park because nothing's running, and just like, why the hell am I doing this? Well, like, there are jobs on my doorstep, and um, yeah, you know, I think for as much as the world is getting smaller, I, I think a lot of us are finding comforts in, in the things that are, are nearer to us. Totally. I'm very, very glad that I did it because um, so the CTO at the time was Mary. Uh, oh, I can't remember her last name, but she is amazing. And she runs Lead Dev, which is an engineering management conference. And so all this like all the kind of stuff around engineering management that she brought has set me up so well, you know, like and I understand where I can learn stuff about engineering management and all of that kind of stuff. Um so yeah, Mary Williams, that's it. Thank you. So I guess the recent parts of your career can best be summed up as a series of, of happy accidents, uh, but yeah. you found your way over to the, the other side of the fence into the wider world of engineering. Um, when you jumped that fence, how have you found testing perceived in, in for example, in higher roles or in other dis disciplines? Uh, oh, well, it really depends on where you are. So uh Christ, it can be bloody hard talking about testing at some places. Um, and I just can't be asked with the attitudes where people don't see testing as being valuable because I believe that, you know, testing is there for us to deliver faster so we know what we're delivering. Like, I fucking love continuous uh, deployment and, you know, so you need the test there so you can actually deploy with like some known quality. Um, and without mm. that, you've got to manually test stuff and I can't be bothered with that. Um, so yeah, like some places you can't sell the dream and, you know, sometimes you just have to hold your hand up and just be like, look, you're not going to take it. I'm going to take myself somewhere else. So I'm really, really lucky where I am at Glean. Um, the reason why I stayed at Glean um, because I ended up there by accident, um, was because I didn't need to talk to anyone about unit tests. And I'm so mm. sick about talking about unit tests. <laughs> I'm too old for that. And the developers look after all the testing and like all the automated testing. We've got, um, we've got exploratory testers and they are bloody good. And yeah, it's, it's just amazing. But yeah, you can't, 
people won't always listen and sometimes you just need to take yourself out of that situation because it's just depressing and yeah it really it really affects your confidence when no one listens to you it's horrible it can sometimes go too far the other way like i'm fortunate enough to find myself in a company who really embrace automation and the value that it brings that i'm not having to fight for uh money or resources um to you know to start doing more automation um the challenge of anything is, is telling them that you know automation isn't all that there is and there's this massive piece that is still valuable to have eyes on the product um mm-hmm. but uh, i guess the challenge the, the more i work my way up up the chain like i report into our um directly to the head of technology now and like in my younger days you know when i was reporting to my boss you know a test lead or whatever you know i could have quite full and frank conversations with them about what i thought about their approaches or what i thought about their opinions um that is harder when you're reporting directly to like the like cto um mm-hmm. How do you how do you go about uh, effectively test planning <laughs> to to people who are very very senior and are paid far too much money? So at the moment, like we've got a contract, uh, like what is he? A CTO, a contract CTO, but he's mm-hmm. leaving in a couple of weeks, and we're getting like a VP of product. Um, and like, I don't think I'll need to explain to him because I engineering's kind of me and my mates um so yeah but um when you do have to explain it is amazing so I used to have a director and she is a wonderful woman Renee Hunt she's now at uh compare the market absolutely wonderful woman but Renee is uh she knows she's wonderful and you have to make Renee feel special god damn it and so I used to make new like entirely new uh diagrams for her to explain testing and like it made her feel good. And so that's how I did it. Know the person that you're trying to get on board and play to their, play to, I don't know, their strengths, their weaknesses, and uh, yeah, give them what they want is yeah. usually how it is. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Find out what matters to that person, you know, mm-hmm. and know how to, yeah, effectively push their buttons. Like if, with my CTO at the moment, um, we had a real problem with, with, um, regressions in production last year um, that's one of the reasons I've, I've come in is to, is to you know make sure we put things out safely um but actually that's a really useful wild card for me to be able to play whenever he says anything to me like if he's saying you know it's really useful to get this out before the end of the month all i need to say is well remember the risk of regressions and he, he mm-hmm. just he shrivels up and goes right neil yeah you go and tell me how long we actually need and like like again there's, there's very magic buttons you can push to go okay yeah I, I understand what you're talking about now yeah, totally. Um, and that goes for presenting strategy as well. Always keep in mind the person that you're presenting to. Um, and yeah, it it works. <laughs> yeah, uh, you, uh, you do need to find that rapport with someone. So again, my, my CTO, uh, uh, a guy I really enjoy working with, like he will come to me, he will tell me like what he what his like end goals are, but he won't list how he wants you to get there. Like he, well, we're kind of revamping our, our release process altogether. And he hasn't come to me telling me, I want you to release uh, once a week using this process. He's come to me saying, I want to be able to release, you know, when we want with confidence, um, you know, 24 hour turnaround, ideally, uh, you know, he's given me some goals that we can then fit a new process into. And I can really mm-hmm. work with people uh, like that. That's amazing. Yeah. When they give you goals, it's so good. So uh, one of the other directors at Sky, uh, Patrick, who I absolutely adored, um, he gave us really like specific goals. Like, you know, we want five nines of uptime and, all these kind of things. And it's like, okay, how do we build a strategy that directly relates to like to hit these goals? And if someone gives you something like that, they've given you an easy life basically because you can like really work your strategy towards it. Um, yeah, if people don't give you that, then uh, it's a lot more of a guessing game and it's a lot more difficult. Yeah, I feel like we've fallen into the sort of conversations we normally have in Tech Team Weekly, which for those who don't know, it's, it's me, Gwen, uh, and an engineer called Sanjay Baswani, who I used to work with uh, at Compare the Market. Um, and we just chat about things that go on in the world with our different perspectives, Gwen from the world of engineering, me from the world of testing. Uh, and we have these very broad conversations. Um, having not done one for a few weeks, for the next section, I'm going to squeeze in a load of hot topics that I would have done on Tech Team Weekly had we had time. But before that, uh, before we abuse the airwaves, let's have song number four. Brilliant. Uh, so this is Radio Birdman. Aloha, Stephen Dano. So this is uh, very surfy. Uh, they're an Australian band, again, uh, from the 80s. Again, uh, I, I've i never known too much about them. I listened to them quite a fair bit, but like never seen them, anything like that. Uh, but 
one of my friends, uh, she moved to Glasgow from Australia and uh, she met her ex-husband because he had a radio Birdman tattoo and she was just like, that man must be mine. Um, but yeah, they're always good fun. <laughs> That was Radio Birdman with Aloha, Steve and Dano. Now, Gwen, we're always talking off air before and after we record Texting Weekly about like things that are going on in our lives that we uh, are a bit more private or confidential or just things that we don't think are interesting to listeners. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think this is actually a really useful platform for some of that. So, for example, we've both been doing loads and loads of hiring recently, uh, including in, in the world of testing. Um, mm-hmm. what's, your, what's your opinion of hiring? Uh, I mean, mine is um, it's rewarding, but it's bloody draining. So uh, previously we were, we only had one recruiter for the whole company and we had a whole bunch of roles. So I was going through all the CVs and like, so it was half an hour of my day doing recruitment stuff at least, um, sometimes an hour. And I have a whole list of stuff that I have to do like every day. Like, you know, it was taking a lot of time. And then um, she wanted on maternity leave, which is a shame because I really love her, but we got... um, like a whole bunch of recruiters in and we have people doing direct sourcing now and stuff like that. And oh my God, I have so much time back. It is amazing. <laughs> and like the quality of candidates that we're getting through is amazing. So um, like, I think if you're struggling like I was, try and get someone to actually do the like direct sourcing and stuff for you because God damn, it makes it so much easier. And it, we're so much more successful now. Like that we're actually finding people a lot faster instead of kind of just waiting for people to apply. Um, yeah, we hired another, we hired an engineer this week, which is really nice. Uh, I've still got oh, five roles open. Um, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens next. Yeah. Well, I'll stick a link to your uh, careers page on the show notes. Um, yeah, we've had really good luck recently with um, some really good agencies and also some really good referrals um, who have come um, into us. So that has made the process a lot easier. I was hugely grateful for our people team, though, who did, did so many initial phone screens and then like putting people forward to me saying, we think this person's good. Can we send the tech test to them? And like I rejected, I would guess... 20 or 30 tech tests like people have got that far like a serious number of people because their tech tests weren't up to the standard i wanted and basically it was getting really difficult to, to not compromise my standards but i was like no the, the right candidate is out there and we, we did find them in the end and like, i'm so glad we waited for them um, mm-hmm. but it's yeah well by the time, until you get to that point i think i said this on tech team weekly like by the time people get through to me having also got through a tech test we pretty much want to hire them. You know, even the first face to face is like we have already sifted you through, and you know you're gonna have to screw up pretty badly for us not to like you. And uh, yeah, I'm so glad that my team. Um, by the time this, this episode goes out, I should have a, a full team of um, six testers. Um, uh, just hired someone to, dedicated to be like a, a release supervisor, like to be in charge of our release process, because uh, that was a huge chunk of my day. And like <laughs> the point of getting to where I am now has been really, really hard. But I'm, I'm so glad to be here. Um, obviously being in a, a position you're in now where you have that, that wider view of engineering, how do you make um, like your hiring consistent across roles? Like I've always seen a problem where whenever I'm hiring for testers, I get given like either the job spec or the tech test for a developer. And then I get told to like take all the techie stuff out or take out the coding exercise uh-huh. and just like, give it like a, a slightly easier version because testers aren't as good. But wow. Question mark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I wrote the, I wrote the tester test. Um, the developers write the developer test. Uh, thank God, because I couldn't bloody write that. Um, I don't think I could pass the like screening test either, which is really embarrassing. Um, I'm just like, Christ, I'm pretty bad at coding now. But yeah, uh, we've been able to really define the whole process, which is really nice. Um, yeah, so it's, yeah, we're really lucky. Like, I'm really lucky that I can just define it all. And yeah. Yeah, just luck, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you had any experiences with uh, my biggest bane was the like psychometric profiles? We had one of our roles <gasps> that wasn't it wasn't a tech role, so we we put we just gave them a, a psychometric test, 
one of these online ones and um the results that came back which is just they were all over the place like basically they, they all came back as like you should hire this person but with caution and like it got to the point where the two the, the two of us who were hiring said we better take these tests ourselves to understand what we're asking people to do and yeah. there's just they're, they're all so broad they're all, they're all like here are two extreme statements um that don't necessarily correlate to each other like which one do you feel more strongly about and basically the only thing it seemed to be doing was like checking your honesty it was like it would check for things like um did they just click the first answer in every single question or did they answer like opposites to the same question twice at various bits and like it's like That's bizarre. i'd rather i'd like as, as a as a mechanism for screening people out it, it seemed to be near useless so uh, I've got a story about psychometric tests. So uh, years ago, I worked at a consultancy and I was at a client site. And one of the um, one of the other testers there was doing uh, their IS2, ISTQB like management thing or something. And so they had to do a project. And so what they did was they got all of the and uh, all of the testers to do this psychometric test. And I did this test, and they were like, uh, so you are a performer and the rest of us are judges. So you don't fit in here. And I was just like, I, I don't understand. Like what, what are you even talking about? Um, yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. And they really used it as a stick to beat me. Like, I'm just like, you're, are you high? Like what is wrong with you? <laughs> so yeah, I ended up getting pulled out of there, thankfully. Um, but yeah, very, very strange, silly thing. Yeah, there are, there are roles that maybe that sort of thing is appropriate for. Particularly, I mean, it was very strong on customer facing stuff, like around attitudes and, and your responses to to problems. But again, if you're given a multiple choice thing where like a customer comes to you with a complaint, do you reply rationally and calmly and tell them you escalate the problem, or do you swear at them and walk off? It's like, well, you know which one you're going to press, regardless of what you do in the heat of the moment. We do um we do SDI training stuff at work, um where like when you first start, they get you to go along to this thing, um and like this, like you do a survey and then you all sit together and you discuss like, you know, what you were and what you do when you get angry and stuff like that. And it, I'm always like, I'm red, which is like a psycho and I don't want to be a psycho, but it is me like, and it's okay. Like, yeah, you just have to, like, I have good things about me, but yeah, I'm like, yeah, I can be psycho. <laughs> like, you know, it's okay. Um, but yeah, it took me a long time to accept that. Yes, I am a red, and it's fine. Yeah, and it, and it takes all sorts, right? I mean, one of the reasons for doing something like that is to make sure you're not, you know, building an echo chamber. You're building mm-hmm. a diverse selection of voices who will, um, you know, bring their authentic selves to the table. So, um, for better or worse, some people choose to use them and go along with it. Um, the other thing I've managed to embroil myself in recently is, is some sort of um, discussion around around pay equity. Now I know we had, we mentioned that with the Ministry of Testing recently about Richard's uh, LinkedIn yeah. post. Um, I obviously having having hired for several roles recently, we went out and we did like market benchmarking to make sure we were advertising at the correct salaries. We did it blind as well, so like I wrote down what salary I expected those to be offered at, and then the people team went and did their own research and came back and said, "Does this range fit with what you were expecting?" And I, and I did, and that was all great. And we told agencies what we're after, and that was great. Now at this point, being new, I didn't actually know what anyone in my team was being paid. Now when people came and asked me what the roles were being advertised at, I told them honestly because I thought, worst case scenario, it's going to start some useful conversations about. Um, you know, oh, that's slightly higher than I'm on, for example. Um, yeah. It has started that, those conversations and it's been awkward with, with in a couple of cases. And I'm like, I think I've done the right thing. Like I, I've started the conversation. It's it's not for me to be in, in control of of how people have been paid historically. But if we are bringing people in at a level, we should be looking to um, uh, align other people's salaries uh, mm-hmm. um, accordingly. Like I've, there are some people, for example, you know, I don't want to go to bat for them and get them like a 10 to 20% pay rise. I think that's difficult in the current climate. But if we talk about it in terms of, of pay realignment, like you are being paid out of kick with what we expect. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think that's reasonable. Yeah, totally, totally. So um, I, I recently did a progression framework and uh, I've made it open to everyone like uh, what the different levels are. And I've told people, if you want to tell other people your level, I don't care. Like if you want to tell other people you pay, I don't, I don't bloody care um, because we do try and make sure that people are getting paid appropriately. Um, but it's, it's hard. <laughs> like it's a hard problem to solve. Um, there's a really, really good talk from lead dev Berlin 
um, that I'll send to you um, about, uh, I think it might be the truth about pay, um, but that that talks about how if someone comes to you and, you know, they they ask for 20 grand and you know that they're really, really underpaid, it is your job to pay them properly instead of like being like, oh, we're getting a good bargain. So when I, oh my God, when I worked at uh, Monzo, I had this recruiter call, like email me. I emailed them back and uh, they said, oh, we've got this, uh, we've got this tester, um, really good uh, automation tester. And they're asking for, I think it was like 17 grand or something. Um, And I emailed them back and I was like, how dare you? be promoting someone for 17 grand and they were like oh they don't worry like they don't mind about their money and I'm like I'm disgusted I hope that you like um like you speak to this woman and make sure she's paid properly because she was I think she was a recent immigrant as well and it's just like you you bloody bastard yeah yeah Yeah, I think with all these things it's just important to have the conversations and get the topic on the table like when when someone came to me and asked me about the salary ranges I my other options were to either not tell them or lie and I didn't want to do either of those so um, no. we'll have we're going to have practice adult conversations that's what we're going to do under under my read, under my read. we'll see how that goes um but in the meantime let's get towards wrapping things up nice and swiftly and I think your last song is going to help do that yes so uh, this is The Descendants. So they're another uh, West Coast band from the US uh, from the 80s. And, uh, yeah, I got to see them in Amsterdam the other year and it was amazing. They're just really shitty pop punk. Um, they have a film as well. I can't remember what the film's called. Um, but, yeah, it's The Descendants. This song is called I Like Food. Uh, and, yeah, there we are. Uh, yep, that was it. Uh, for the first time on the podcast, that's a song you've heard in full. That's all 17 seconds of The Descendants with I Like Food. That's beating the previous record for the shortest song featured on the podcast, which was Caro Stoltzenberg picking the main theme from Star Trek way back in 2018 so uh, uh nice record for you to finish with it Gwen thank you uh yeah they're I really like them they're good fun <laughs> uh proper like 80s skater punk yeah as 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 a manifesto song i like food is not not the worst i, I think uh, it's quite clear what they're all about from that um that brings that brings us to the end of your five song selections today the other thing you're allowed to, to take with you to the desert island is one book to keep you company what book did you pick so i chose the goal by eli goldratt um occasionally i consider getting an eli goldratt tattoo then i think about how creepy that would be um but the goal is the most beautiful book. Um, so I don't like the stuff about relationships in it too much. I just want all the factory processes and the factory processes and how they go in and fix all of them is just absolutely gorgeous. So um, it's what, uh, oh, not the Unicorn Project. What was the one before that? The Phoenix Project a is Phoenix what the Project. Phoenix Project was based on. Like the Phoenix Project is a rewrite of the goal. Um, but the goal was like, uh, it was probably written in the eighties, just like everything else uh, I seem to talk about. Um, and yeah, it was about factories instead of tech. Um, but I'm sure everyone's read it anyway. I haven't. I've read the Phoenix Project, and I can see why it may have taken much of its manifesto from another title. And that's it there. Now added to our bookshelf is Eli Goldratt's The Goal. Uh, we have a list of all our books on Goodreads, which is linked in the show notes. Uh, also in the show notes, you'll find our Spotify playlist, which now has five more songs on it. Actually, it's only got four because The Mummies isn't on Spotify. But uh, four of those five songs will now be on the Spotify playlist. Um, I'll put a link to the YouTube video of The Mummies uh, in the show notes uh, for anyone who would like to get their mummies on. But with that, um, we're into April now. Um, Gwen, yet again saying goodbye to you for on a second podcast. We will speak again in person or audio form sometime soon, I'm sure. Um, in the meantime, um, how can people get in touch with you? Or, or can they not when you're in Australia? <laughs> well, uh yeah, maybe Twitter. Uh, I mean, if you're on a Slack with me, Slack is definitely the best way to get in touch with me. Um, I'm very patchy on replying to everything else. Twitter, I'm kind of okay. Email, uh, 
like, just don't bother emailing me. My email <laughs> is such a mess. Like I can't find anything. Uh, so yeah, Twitter or Slack is definitely the best way. And I'm Gwen Diagram on Twitter and Gwen Diagram on Slack. So yeah. Fab. Uh, I will link uh, those accounts on the show notes. Um, yeah, I'm mostly a Slack person these days as well. To, to the extent that we have a Slack that we use for Tech Team Weekly that we were paying, or I was paying 20 quid a month for, just to have an email integration to send out emails into Slack. And then we realized we'd never told anyone our email address. So it was a complete <laughs> waste, a waste of 20 pounds a month. So we've gone back to the free plan. But uh, yeah, Slack for life. Um, I guess um, you've got Test Bash X. Obviously, it will have happened by the time this comes out. Have you got anything else in the pipeline? Uh, I think so. <laughs> I, I'm not exactly sure when anything is. Uh, yeah, I I should probably know that. I've been trying not to do so many talks because I'm doing like I'm doing a career change basically, um, and I I don't think I can talk about engineering management sensibly yet. Um, yeah, I feel like I need to get more into it so I think I'm just going to continue hosting and everything for a while until I'm a bit more confident with going like with talking about what I know if you know what I mean <laughs> it, that, that, that's a long way of going about saying it but yes 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 I do and uh, wherever <laughs> you do speak uh, your voice will be heard loud and proud and I cannot wait to uh, to finally share a beverage with you at some yes. point this year maybe maybe Manchester uh, test bash we, we should see be amazing uh, but thank you so much for, for dropping in on the test design disc for, um, and we'll see you uh, uh we'll hear you no, you'll hear us we'll see you we won't see you we'll, <laughs> we'll be around we'll be around sometime soon <laughs> see you all Definitely. everybody see you bye. thanks for having me bye test design and discs is brought to you by ministry of testing written and produced by neil studd theme music by green day follow us on twitter at testers island 